so we can know how to receive a prayer uh, over many of these things. We want you to know that we about you. One of the things we're going to be doing uniquely today is at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to identify a place in your life where you need to take the next step in following Jesus. One of the great things about Easter is it oftentimes draws many of us in that maybe haven't been in church for a while, or maybe this whole church thing is new to you this morning. But what I'm going to show you from the Word of God today is that every single one of us have a next step that we're called to take. Every one of us have a next step. And part of what we believe that's connected to that is we believe that the power of the resurrection that we are going to observe in John chapter 20 is still working today. And so when I ask you to identify what that next step is, we're asking you to identify a place in your life where you need to trust Christ at a deeper level. And so what happened in the first service is we gave people time throughout the service and at the end to identify what that place was. And as a part of our response time to the message, you're going to be able to lay these at the altar. If you're watching in the overflow room, we've got an overflow room upstairs. That's where my family is. We're excited that you're joining us via worship. You should also know by way of introduction that you are in a bilingual service. Um, If you want to listen to this message in Spanish, there are listening devices in the back where you can grab those and listen along in Spanish as well. So why should you trust Christ with the kind of next step I'm encouraging you to identify on this card? I want to show you that from the Word of God in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, if you've got a device or a copy of God's Word, please turn there. And once you're there, would you please stand with us to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word? encourage you to do the same thing in our overflow room. Would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? John chapter 20, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 29 to hear the resurrection account that John offers us. John chapter 20, verse 1 says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that that he had said these things to her. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the sins from any, forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word to us. Would you pray with me, church? Father God, we're asking in these moments for something supernatural to happen. We are asking for you to speak to us. We pray that you would do that, and that as you do, we would not only hear from your word, we pray that we would be doers of your word as well. God, remove distraction and speak to every heart here. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. I want to show you from the word of God at the start the historical reality of the resurrection. The historical reality of the resurrection. Mary Magdalene was one of Jesus' closest followers, a female follower. And the Bible records in John that she's the first one that shows up at the tomb. And when she shows up, she sees something very odd. She notices that the stone is not there, that it's been rolled away. And as any rational person would assume, somebody that died Friday, it stands to reason they're still dead on Sunday. And so she assumes that someone's moved Jesus' body. Someone's taken Christ and moved him someplace else. And so alarmed, Troubled by this fact, she runs and finds two of Jesus' closest disciples, Peter and John. Here, Here he's described as the beloved disciple. Peter and John take off running. They get to the tomb. They observe that Jesus is also gone, but they observe a few other things that are different than Mary saw at first. They observe that Jesus' linen cloths that wrapped around his dead body have been removed. John tells us specifically that even the stuff that was wrapped around Jesus' head has been removed and laid to the side. Now here's the point that you and I are meant to see from this scene of the story. John wants us to realize that something miraculous has happened here. 
Jesus, who died on Friday, is now alive on Sunday. The same Jesus who suffered and died for our sins on the cross has now risen from the dead. And part of what I want you to get in your minds is I want you to understand the gravity of that reality. Because on Friday when Jesus died, if you had his heart hooked up to one of those monitors, his heart was flatlined. It stopped beating. Blood ceased to flow through his body. Brain activity stopped. He was really dead. Friday night, flatlined. Saturday, all day, still flatlined. But then Sunday morning, something happened. On Sunday morning, there was a blip on that EKG machine. Jesus' heart began to beat again. Stronger, stronger. Blood started to rush through his body. Jesus' mind began to operate again. He sat up. And the Bible tells us that he's so victorious in what he's doing, he takes the time not just to take off the stuff around his head, he neatly folds it and puts it to the side. How many moms would like their teenage kids to do that, right? Jesus is here doing that as he's conquering death. And when Jesus sheds those linen robes, he doesn't just shed the trappings of a dead man. Jesus is literally shedding off and defeating death itself. Because remember what got Jesus there in the first place. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. Jesus freely offered his life as a sacrifice for sins. The reason Jesus died was he was taking the punishment that you deserve and that I deserve for my sin. And when Jesus throws off that linen shroud that was around his body for a dead man, he's saying, I didn't just take your penalty. Jesus is saying, I have defeated your penalty. One of my favorite movies is the movie Cinderella Man. Anybody in here ever seen Cinderella Man? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Great, great movie. Russell Crowe plays a boxer named James Braddock. James Braddock is a boxer that's living around the time of the Great Depression. And uh, he goes through a series of trials in his life, only to find himself on the backside of his career. He's an older boxer that's having a resurgence. He begins to win some fights. His career begins to get better and better, even though he's older and the backside of his career. Well, the movie depicts one particular fight that James Braddock has with an, a younger, bigger, more athletic opponent. And it's very obvious from the way the movie portrays the fight that it's not going well for James Braddock. This guy's younger, he's quicker, he's stronger, and he just, James Braddock can't get any, any footing with this guy. Well, the fight goes on. It looks like it's getting worse and worse. And then, in a pivotal moment in this fight, this younger boxer lands this incredible punch right across Jim Braddock's chin. He hits him so hard that his mouthpiece goes flying through the air. The people in the audience stand because it looks like this is it. This guy's going down. There's no way this older seasoned fighter can stand up to this punch he's just received. But after some time, the older, wiser fighter walks over, picks up his mouthpiece, puts it back in, pops up off the mat, and he smiles. And when this younger fighter sees this older fighter smiling after just taking the best punch he could possibly deliver, it gets in his head. 
He can't fight well anymore. And James Braddock goes on to win that fight because in the moment of trial, when that guy threw the best punch he could possibly give him, he not only took it, but he popped up off the mat and smiled as if to say, is that all you've got? What I want you to know about Jesus is Jesus takes the best punch death and sin can offer and he gets right up off the mat and smiles and says, is that all you got? This is what Jesus is doing in John chapter 20. He's saying, is this all you got? I've taken the best, the hardest punch sin and death and hell can throw at me and now I'm standing victorious to say, I have defeated your penalty. The question for me and you is how should we respond to this Jesus? Look back in your Bibles. I want to show you from the Word of God how Peter and John respond and show its implication for you and for me. Verse 6, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Now listen carefully to this, verse 8. Then the other disciple, this is John, who's writing this account. John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. That word believed, I think, is better rendered for 2017 audience as trust. See, sometimes when we hear the word believe in the Bible, we think just intellect. Like, I just, I believe that that happened. What the Bible calls you and I to is not just an acknowledgement that Jesus did these things. The Bible calls you and I to trust Jesus, to rely on him, to depend on him. Our response to the risen, victorious Jesus who takes the best punch death can throw is to trust him. And here's why. The reason we trust Christ is because the same transforming power that raised Jesus from the dead today can transform you. The reason we depend, we rely, and trust Jesus is because the same power that raised him from the dead can transform and change you from the inside out. I want to show you from the Bible three quick examples from John's Gospel in chapter 20 of people who undergo this kind of transformation. I want to show you the impact of the resurrection as we watch Jesus change people from the inside out and so point us to trust in him. First example we see in the Bible is Mary. Mary. Mary Magdalene is the one who showed up first. Peter and John, after seeing the tomb, they leave. And Mary's left standing there. And the Bible describes her as crying. She's grieving. Understandably so. She's confused. What's happened to Jesus? Someone she loves and cares about, at the very least, has been removed. Some kind of trick, some kind of joke. So she's hurt. The Bible tells us that when she goes in to look in the tomb, she sees something different than Peter and John have seen. She sees an angel at where Jesus' head and feet would have been laying. It's John's way of us telling us that something miraculous has happened here. This is a miracle of upper proportions. She begins to talk to these angels, and as she's talking with them, she notices someone over her shoulder. And so she turns to look, and, and there's Jesus. She doesn't recognize him at first, but that's who it is. 
She begins to talk to him. She assumes he's the gardener. And after they talk for a while, Jesus looks at her and says, Mary. And in that moment, it's as if the clouds part and the sun comes shining through and Mary hears the voice of her Savior and she recognizes Jesus. She declares him her Lord, her teacher. Friday night, we had a good Friday service in here. And one of the things that we're blessed with at Riverview is a lot of little kids. But sometimes in services, they don't feel like a blessing at certain points, right? Uh, If they're being noisy or loud, but I, I remind our people, remember, when we hear noisy, loud kids in services, that's a reminder of God's kindness to us. Children are never an annoyance to us. They're a gift to us. Amen? We're blessed at Riverview to have a lot of little kids. I myself have contributed to this. Uh, um, Shelly and I have a one-year-old little girl. And so part of what was happening Friday night is there's a lot of movement, a lot of noise in the back. Um, but I gotta tell you that when I heard all that crying, I could always pick up my daughter's voice. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? You can hear your child's cry different than anybody else's. So that if you're out someplace and you hear some kid crying and go, oh, that's not my kid, no big deal. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully you go inspect to see why somebody's crying, but it's often the case that you can tell that's not my kid crying, that's somebody else's kid. I could hear the sound of my daughter, my little one-year-old girl crying because I know her voice, because I love her. What Mary is displaying is that there's a love and a closeness with Jesus, so much so that when she hears his voice, she recognizes it. Jesus tells her, Mary, you can't touch me yet. I've got more work to do. I'm going to ascend to the Father. I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father and intercede for you. But Mary, I want you to do something for me. Jesus tells Mary, Mary, I want you to go back and tell the disciples that I've risen from the dead and that I'm going back to the Father. By the way, one of the reasons we believe this is true is because this fact is very embarrassing to a New Testament audience. Ladies, you do understand that you've come a long way since the New Testament. At this period of time, women uh, couldn't testify in court. They couldn't own property. They were just a little bit above livestock. For the gospel writers to include that women were the first ones to the scene and a woman was the first one to announce the reality of the resurrection points to the fact that John wants us to realize he's not airbrushing this story. It is what it is. You can trust that this is actually what happened. But watch this. As Mary proclaims the goodness of the resurrection to the disciples, she has moved from being a person who was sad, grieving, to boldly proclaiming the gospel. What happened to move her from confusion and grief to boldness for Christ? What happened was she had an interaction with the risen Savior and his transforming power in her life. He transformed Mary's grief and sadness into boldness for the gospel. That's example number one, is Mary. Example number two are the disciples. The disciples, we're told, even after hearing about the resurrection, are still very afraid. See, the Jews have, through political maneuvering, seen Jesus go to the cross, and they're afraid that the Jews now will come and hunt down all of the followers of Jesus. And so they're huddled up in this room, afraid. 
And in a moment that they weren't expecting, the Bible tells us that Jesus appears miraculously in their midst. And the first thing that Jesus says to the disciples is he says, peace. Um, If you know any Hebrew, you know the word shalom. It means to rest. It means to find rest for your soul. One of the things I've been reading in the book of Psalms, I've been reading my quiet time through Psalms, and Psalms compares the wicked and the righteous. He says the wicked are constantly anxious, constantly toiling for the next thing, but the righteous have a rest that allows them to sleep with their head on their pillow. See, rest is a theme you can trace all the way from Genesis all the way to what we're reading in John. From geographical rest that God promises the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt and they entered into God's rest in the land he promised to Abraham and Isaac to spiritual rest God offers us in his grace, that there's a rest. I can stop striving. I can stop trying to earn my salvation. I can rest in what God's done for me. Jesus comes and announces rest to his disciples. And from that announcement, he tells them he wants them to do something as well. He says, in the same way that the Father has sent me to you, I'm sending you to the world. And in, in, in what I think is distinct from Acts 2, where we see Pentecost, Jesus gives them a kind of preemptive blessing of the Holy Spirit, and he empowers them with an authority. Not to forgive sins like some of your translations might read, but I think the authority Jesus is giving them is the finality and the authority of the gospel. Those who repent and trust Christ are forgiven. Those who reject that reject God's forgiveness. Here's the point. These 11 guys plus Paul turn the world upside down. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're here today because these 11 people got it. And what I want you to observe is what changed these disciples from fear, sitting in this room trembling, to boldly proclaiming the gospel all over the world. What changed them? They had an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ and his transforming grace. Jesus transformed Mary's fear into boldness, he, or excuse me, Mary's grief into boldness. He's transformed the disciples' fear into boldness. That's the second example. And the third example is doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't there when Jesus first showed up. And now he's doubting what the disciples are telling him. And you can understand and relate to Thomas. Some of you, I'm looking at your faces. You're skeptical by nature. You don't just believe and trust things at first glance. And it makes sense why Thomas is that way. He's saying, look, unless I can see his, fing- his hands and see his side, I'm not going to believe that he rose from the dead. Any of you have the spiritual gift of putting your foot in your mouth? <laughs> I have that gift. Uh, because eight days later, Thomas is there. They're in the room together and Jesus shows up again. And I don't know if you can picture this in your mind's eye, but Jesus begins to walk over to Thomas. And if I'm Thomas at this point, I'm trembling in my boots because Jesus is fully justified in whacking me upside the head, but he doesn't do that. He says, Thomas, look at my hands. Put your fingers in here. Thomas, look at my side that was pierced with this spear. Put your hand in my side. And then Jesus commands Thomas. He says, Thomas, don't disbelieve believe. I want to show you Thomas's response in verse 28. Look back at your Bibles. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my 
God. This is the greatest declaration a Jewish man could make because the title Lord is where we get the idea of Yahweh in the Old Testament, the covenantal name for God, that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the title God is him saying, I believe that you're eternal. I believe you've never begun and you're never going to end. You're the everlasting God. Now watch this. Thomas moved from doubt to boldly proclaiming the gospel. How did this transformation happen? It's because he had an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ and his transforming power. Mary's grief, the disciples' fear, Thomas's doubt, when they meet Jesus, are transformed into boldly proclaiming the goodness of his grace. Here's the point I want you to take home today. The victory of Jesus Christ in the resurrection starts a chain reaction of victory in the lives of his followers. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I want you to hear this. The victory that happens when Jesus comes back to life, knocks over a domino that sets off millions of dominoes of victory into the lives of his followers. The resurrection is this stone that drops in the water and sends out ripples all over the globe and across generations. We've seen chain reactions in our personal lives, right? Where you have one little thing that results in a lot of big changes. In 2011, I got a phone call uh, from a pastor friend of mine a couple of towns away. And this pastor friend, they had a men's ministry in his church and every Saturday morning, they would have a speaker and kind of a men's breakfast kind of deal. And the speaker they had lined up for that particular Saturday dropped out. So they had to find somebody at the last minute. So of course, who did they call? They called me, right? Called me, said, would you come over and talk to our guys and just share your heart with them? So I did. Saturday morning, drove a couple towns away, spoke about 20, 30 minutes to these guys about following Jesus, about what it meant to be a Christ-like follower, had some good response, had a good meal and left. I was in the middle of my doctoral work at the time, and so I was here, up to here, and reading and writing, and so I kind of put that out of my mind. Fast forward a year and a half later, I got a phone call from a guy named Nathan. And this guy named Nathan had been in this men's Bible study, and he had moved to Missouri. And he had joined this church called Riverview Baptist Church. And he said, Spencer, you probably don't remember me. My name's Nathan. Um, I've just joined a church in, in Osage Beach and they don't have a pastor. And I heard you speak that one time. I think you'd be great. Would you be interested in being considered for this position? And I said, uh, where's Osage Beach? Uh, you have to understand, I was talking to somebody about this in the hallway. I'm married to a Texan. And some of you know what that means, right? There's a fierce loyalty. You could put a dot where my wife was born and draw a 30-mile radius line from that, make a circle, and she's never lived further away from those 30 miles, 30 minutes from her home. And so we began to pray, began to talk to the search team about this position, and it just became clear time after time after time, this is where God wanted us. I gotta be honest with you, at the time we didn't understand it. But I can tell you a thousand different things that all point to the reality that this is exactly where God wants our family. Some of, one of those things is, as I look out in this group, I see um, 
ethnic diversity in our congregation. It's a result of God's hand of blessing in our church. I think about Love the Lake when we're going to mobilize our people to go out in the community, to not be a fort in our community, but be a force to share the love and the message of Christ. I think about my third daughter when I look at her in the face and I don't believe we'd have a third child because when we moved to Missouri, we realized everybody's got seven kids <laughs> and we had to keep up. All joking aside, it was good for my wife to see other moms that had larger families working through that and making it work. And so we were like, well, if they can do it, we can do that. Prayed about that. The Lord gave us a little girl. A hundred years of my family since we've had a little girl and God blessed us in that way. My point is, all of these things, you could trace them back to one random phone call on a Thursday afternoon. Make, make the hair on your arm stand up kind of stuff. Some of you could identify those kinds of experiences in your life, right? You met someone that turned, became your spouse or a, a job opportunity opened up that in just a random way that you didn't anticipate. And from one little rock that drops in the water, everything changes. What I want you to know is the victory of the resurrection is a rock that drops in the water that changes everything in the most epic of ways. Because Jesus is not just changing your job or your geography. Jesus is changing your eternal destiny. I want to show you that the impact of the resurrection is not unique just to Peter, James, and John, and Mary, and Thomas. I want to show you how it ripples out to us today. Look in your Bibles at verse 29. Verse 29. Jesus said to him, this is Jesus still talking to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus includes you in verse 29. We are those who've not seen We are those that have not seen Jesus physically. But Jesus says this ripple of victories that's going out across the world is included in 2017. The same resurrection power that was unleashed in John chapter 20 is still moving today. The way that you experience the resurrection power of Jesus is by trusting him. Here's what it means to trust Jesus. Let me land the plane on this and make it clear. Trusting Jesus means I accept that I have a problem and that Jesus is the solution. Trusting Jesus means that I acknowledge and admit that I have a problem. My problem is that I worship myself rather than God. Every human being born in this world, past, present, future, comes into this world hardwired to worship self, to make self the main character rather than God. As cute and as beautiful as my little one-year-old girl is, and she is, she's the most beautiful child that's ever been born. (laughs) I know you think yours is cute, but you know, sorry. Even as beautiful as she is, She's come fully equipped knowing how to lie and manipulate. I didn't teach her how to do those things. We didn't have a class for her when she was three months old saying, now here's how you tell a lie. 
Here's how, me, how's, here's how you manipulate. She's doing that from a survival perspective because there's a hard wiring in us to serve and gratify ourselves. And this is why we lie. This is why we steal. This is why we disobey our parents. This is why we look at other people with lust and hatred in our hearts. We do these things because our God is gratification, not the true God. The only way we receive this victorious power and grace that Jesus won for us through his resurrection is if we first acknowledge we have a problem and our problem is our hearts. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because every other message you're getting in our culture tells you the opposite. Listen to me carefully. It's really important because every commercial you see, especially every Disney movie ends with, Follow your heart, and everything will go great for you. We want you to understand that God cares about what you care about, but understand this your heart will lead you in the wrong direction. The answer is not within you, the answer's got to come outside you. Trusting Christ means I don't have the answer inside me. In fact, what's inside me is pretty scary. What I have to do if I'm going to trust Christ is I'm turning from following myself. I'm turning from myself being the main character of my story. I'm turning away from that and I'm saying, Jesus, I want you to be the main character. I believe that you died for me, that you paid the penalty for these things that I should have gotten and I'm trusting that you rose again and I want you to be my Lord. That's how we get connected to this victory that was won for us in the resurrection. So back to these cards. The reason I'm asking you to trust Christ at a deeper level if you know him or trusting Christ for the first time if you don't know him is because he's the only one that can solve your problem. He's the only one. You're not smart enough. I'm looking at you. You're not good looking enough. None of you, left to your own strength and ability, can do this. Only Jesus can. So for some of you that are followers of Jesus, some of the things that you could list on here are pretty simple. Some of you may be dealing with financial hardships in your personal life or your business. We as Americans love to try to have a lifestyle we can't afford. Some of you may need to write down, I need to trust Christ for provision in my life. I need to trust Christ and do finances and stewardship his way, not my way, not the American way. Now keep in mind, I do not believe that Jesus came to give you a Learjet. Despite what I heard a guy say on TV one time. I think God came to provide for his children and it's not wrong to ask for provision and help and to bring your finances before the Lord. Some of you may be dealing with physical pain physical pain and suffering, sickness, some kind of pain that you deal with every day. I know there are members in our church that every day deal with some form of physical pain. I do not believe that God promises that we will never face physical pain in this life if we know him. I do believe God provides the final solution to that, which is when we stand before him face to face and he changes and perfects us. It is not wrong to pray for healing. It is not wrong to pray that God would remove 
pain and physical suffering in your life. But remember, part of what we're praying is, God, even if you don't take this away from me, help me to trust the plan you have for this now. The prosperity gospel that says, if you believe in Jesus, you'll never have problems and your wallet will always be full is a load of garbage. The Greek word for that is baloney. <laughs> okay? It's not true. You got the guys on TV that say, if you just send in this money or get this, then you'll get... No. God is not a genie in a bottle. He's not a slot machine. When we elevate the gift to that level, we're elevating the gift above the giver. Okay, little rabbit trail done. Some of you may be dealing with sadness or loss, grief, pain. Write that on this card. Ask God to provide healing in your life. Some of you who are here in Easter may need to say, you know what? It's time for me to get serious about following Jesus. It's time for me to recognize that being a Christian is not just about something you prayed 20 years ago. Being a Christian is about following Jesus by faith, trusting him. I want you to write something down on this card in a few moments and bring that forward. Most of my comments up until now have been to those of you that know Christ. Let me just finish by talking to you in here who may not know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, our appeal to you is to repent of your sins and trust Christ. That's not something your parents can do for you. It's not something your grandparents can do for you. It's not something that happens because you went through a ceremony when you were little. Becoming a Christian means you have to consciously cross the line of faith and say, I'm trusting Christ and Christ alone for salvation. If you turn from your sin and trust Jesus, my promise to you is that God will forgive you of your past present and future sins, and when you die or when he returns, he will take you home to be with him forever. That's what we offer you today. Some of you may need to write on this card, I need to receive Christ as my Savior and Lord. So as our musicians come forward now, I'm just going to show you one more thing on this card as we close. On this card, you'll also notice that there's a place where you can check a box that says yes or no, and that is, would you like someone to follow up with you? Some of the way that some of you need to take a next step in your walk with Jesus this morning is by saying, I want to no longer be anonymous. I want to be known. And I want people to know that I have this issue, this problem, and we will lovingly, graciously follow up with you, minister to your family. We have people that are in the wings ready to pray over every single one of these cards. And if somebody checks that they want somebody to follow up with them, we will have somebody that will call you, that will lovingly minister to you. I got to tell you, as Americans, we do not do accountability well. We like to pull into our driveway, get into our garage, and close it, and never really interact. Some of you need to take a next step by being known and interacting. I'm going to turn you guys over in the uh, uh, overflow space to Michael, who will give you a few more instructions about what's going to happen now. Would you pray with me, church? Father God, we thank you for this time. And God, I thank you for the people in this room and the people in our overflow space up the hallway here who, God, are all considering what's the next step they need to take in trusting and following you. Jesus, I pray right now that you would put your finger on that issue in every person's heart in this room. 
I pray that you'd clearly identify what it is that they need to do next in following you. For those here who don't know Christ, Father, I pray, God, I pray that you would open their eyes. Holy Spirit, would you open their eyes and show them their problem and that the only solution is Jesus. We give some of the people in this room the courage to identify themselves as known, to step